Hello, this is Sandor Katz, and today we'll be mapping fermentation on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. And that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in our clinical care. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'm so excited to be speaking with Sandor Katz. Sandor Elixir Katz is a fermentation revivalist. His books, Wild Fermentation and the Art of Fermentation, along with the hundreds of fermentation workshops he has taught around the world, have helped to catalyze a broad revival of the fermentation arts. A self-taught experimentalist who lives in rural Tennessee, the New York Times calls him one of the unlikely rock stars of the American food scene. Sandor is the recipient of a James Beard Award and other honors. I'm so honored to have you here on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be with you. So I want to start us out with a quote of yours from your book, The Art of Fermentation. And here's the quote, probably familiar to you. Moving toward a more harmonious way of life and greater resilience requires our active participation. This means finding ways to become more aware of and connected to the other forms of life that are around us and that constitute our food, plants and animals, as well as bacteria and fungi, and to the resources such as water, fuel, materials, tools, and transportation upon which we depend it means taking responsibility for our shit, both literally and figuratively. So, Sander, can you start us out by speaking into how fermentation helps us take responsibility for our shit, both literally and figuratively? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, first of all, I should just clarify that for me, the idea of the fermentation revival and reclaiming fermentation of our food is part of a larger process of reclaiming our food and trying to, as much as possible, remove food from the realm of commodities that we just go to the store and buy without any regard to where they're from. And I do think that we need to become more connected to our food, and then fermentation follows from that. It turns out that fermentation also plays a huge role in soil fertility. And, you know, it's the basis of all sort of ideas about renewing and regenerating and improving soil fertility. And it plays many of the same roles in our bodies, bacteria, that they play in the soil. 
and the extremely numerous and biodiverse populations of bacteria and other microorganisms that inhabit our intestines play a huge role in our functioning and our well-being. And they enable us to effectively digest our food and extract nutrients from our food. They synthesize essential nutrients for us so we don't have to find them in our food. Bacteria play a huge role in what we call our immune function. And more and more, we're learning that they play a role in, you know, regulating various chemical systems in our bodies, including our brain chemistry. So, you know, our digestion is very much dependent on these microorganisms. And we frankly have less biodiversity than people in the past generally had, thanks to chemical exposure, but also thanks to, you know, eating more processed food and less fiber. Fiber feeds bacteria along the entire length of the digestive system. I'm getting chills speaking to you because I have a memory. I've been in the field of nutrition for a long time, but you've been in this revival role for longer. So I have a memory of going to look for wild fermentation in a bookstore in San Francisco while I was still studying nutrition. And I'm really just marveling at how much our awareness of fermentation and the gut microbiome has changed in that time. You were a pioneer in not just fermentation, but in our understanding of these deep connections in the body and how to actually shift them. I'm wondering what that's been like for you to witness in your career as a fermentationist. Well, I mean, I should just say that, like, I'm not a practitioner. I'm very interested in the microbiology. Um, you know, to some limited degree, I follow some of the new research that's coming out. I'm kind of, you know, blown away by some of what we're learning. But for the most part, to me, it really reaffirms these concepts that I got into it believing the importance of bacteria to our well-being. I get to see and hear people, sometimes people promoting particular fermented foods, you know, making all kinds of unsubstantiated claims. I mean, I think that live culture fermented foods have the potential to improve anybody's well-being. You know, whether you are the healthiest specimen you have ever met, whether you're facing some health crisis, whether you're feeling the effects of aging, whether you're living with some chronic disease, whatever the status of your health, I think that the idea that building greater biodiversity in the gut, which can potentially improve digestion, can potentially improve immune function, can potentially improve brain function and lots of other systems of our body. It's a win-win for anybody, no matter what the status of their health. That doesn't mean that, you know, fermented foods are going to cure your cancer or reverse the aging process. I mean, they can have incredible benefits without our having to claim that they, you know, solve all of our problems. Absolutely. And I know you claimed you're not a practitioner, but one of the things I love about nutrition is we can take the science and the implementation and bring it together into what actually works in somebody's everyday without being the end-all be-all or the total cure. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's contributing to the terrain, so to speak, right? Yeah. So 
you are the go-to resource for fermentation recipes and tips, and your upcoming book will take us further into some of the traditions of fermentation, as I understand it. What are some of your favorite stories linking traditions to health outcomes? Again, not the be-all, end-all, but that contribution that we're speaking into. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, just there are so many places in the world where fermented foods and beverages are associated with wellness and healing. I think we can't really ignore the wisdom of folk medicine and these different traditions. And it's very interesting to me how much, you know, the emerging science of microbiology is really affirming a lot of those ideas. I like to point out to people that there are, you know, many varied benefits to fermented foods. I mean, probiotics is what has gotten most attention because we're just learning about the importance of bacteria in our gut. But the probiotic benefits of fermented foods and beverages are only one of the benefits. I mean, pre-digestion is another huge area of benefit where in fermented foods and beverages, nutrients are broken down into simpler, more elemental forms before we eat them. And as a result, they become more bioavailable. So for instance, any kind of grain or seed food, the levels of minerals go up in the fermented versions of them because these chemical bonds called phytate bonds get broken down and basically liberate the minerals and make them accessible to us. So they're there all the time, but if you don't ferment them, then our bodies can't extract them. And if you ferment the foods first, then those minerals become very bioavailable to us. So pre-digestion can, you know, really enhance nutrient values of food. And then the fermentation generates additional nutrients. So, you know, almost all fermented foods and beverages have elevated levels of B vitamins as compared to the original nutrients you start with, K vitamins, and all these micronutrients that are metabolic byproducts that we're really just beginning to investigate and learn about. Even if you're eating ferments in forms that are not alive, where you get the probiotic benefit, there are a lot of different benefits to fermented foods and virtually no risk. And how did people know this? I mean, I guess they were fermenting. If we go back to the historical use of fermented foods, I guess there were multiple reasons they were fermenting. Some of them just about the preservation of the food without having the technologies we have today. But was there awareness of a health link if we go historically back? I mean, you tell some stories about why kraut was brought onto ships, or we can look back at fermented cod liver oil as being beneficial for sailors coming off of the ships and supporting their immune system. Like, did they know? There was not like a universal practice of fermentation and there's not a universal knowledge of fermentation. I mean, I think that in different places, people have used fermentation in different ways and people have had different kinds of understandings of it. When I try to think about why is fermentation practiced everywhere and, you know, fermentation traditionally has been practiced, you know, in every part of the world. I don't have encyclopedic knowledge, but I have been able to find no examples of cultural traditions with no fermentation. And, you know, the way I think about it now is that all of the plants and all of the animal products that make up our food are 
populated by these elaborate communities of microorganisms. And some of these microorganisms can decompose our food and make it disgusting that no one would want to put into our mouths. And so people basically figured out ways to store food to prevent that from happening. Right. And then at the same time, you know, either acids would develop that would make the food more stable for storage or the food would just start to have more delicious, complex flavors. People would perceive different benefits. And then, you know, if people start eating a food regularly, they may begin to perceive, you know, ways in which it makes them feel. And I think that, you know, this is the way in which, you know, people came to the conclusion that these foods had special qualities. It certainly wasn't from looking under a microscope or, you know, understanding the microbiology of it. It was a more intuitive kind of understanding. Yeah, that makes sense. When you're thinking about preparing fermented foods or beverages, are you thinking through what kind of bacteria you're using or are the benefits beyond where you start? Does that question make sense? So most of what I do is what I would call wild fermentation, which is also the title of my first book about fermentation. But wild fermentation is not a phrase that I made up. And wild fermentation is a phrase used throughout the literature that describes something specific. It describes fermentation based on organisms that are in the food that you are fermenting. So this summer, I've made lots of, you know, cucumber pickles, fermented pickles in the Eastern European style of my grandparents who came from Belarus. And I put cucumbers, I use dill, I use lots of garlic, I use peppercorns, I use a little chili pepper, I put a handful of grape leaves that help keep them crisp. And then I pour a brine solution, usually a 5% brine. So for a liter of water, 50 grams of salt, three tablespoons for a quart. I mix up that salty brine. I pour it over the vegetables. I'm not adding bacteria because I know that cucumbers, like all vegetables, like all plants growing out of soil on planet earth, have lactic acid bacteria already as part of them. So I'm thinking a little bit about the biology, but really only these sort of universal rules that I have come to understand. Earlier in the summer, I made some blueberry wine. I didn't add any yeast because I know that fruit all has yeast on it. So most traditional ferments, you don't have to add a starter because the starter is already on it. If I'm trying to make some really specific things, if I want to make tempeh, I need to use a starter. Mm, yeah, that's really helpful to think into. I am wondering, in addition to the caution of don't think it's the be all end all or the cure for everything, in talking to coaches, clinicians, practitioners around the globe, is there something you wish we knew about the use and the utilization of ferments and introducing them into our client or patient's protocols? Nothing specific. I mean, certainly I, I think that it's exciting that we're learning more and more, but I think that these foods as a group can potentially help anybody. It's not that they are magical, you know, sort of separate things. It's about, you know, thinking about, you know, sort of how are bacteria that we need so badly just integrated into the foods that we're eating and bacteria are part of everything. We can ferment things for a long time and make that extreme and maybe make a flavor that's strong, but we can also ferment things for a short time. 
in a very short period of time, cultivate the bacteria that are already on some food. I would encourage, especially for people who might come to you who feel like, you know, they have an aversion to the strong flavors of fermentation. Well, ferment something for three or four days and you'll get a lot of the probiotic benefits without getting the sharp acidic flavors. So, you know, there's a range of possible outcomes. Yeah, I think the words that come to mind for me as you're speaking into this and or are play, like it doesn't need to be prescriptive. We can make it playful and also just dynamic that it's not just about the food, but as you said, how the food interacts with our system. I like to think of this as symbiosis and you spoke into that so beautifully. Thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your wisdom and for the history of sharing your play and your experimentation with all of us. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry it's such a short time. Thanks, Sandor. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 